Section twenty five of the Shuans by Honore de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter three J. The Gaul was dressed like any other Shuan. His blunderbuss was slung behind him over his goat skin, and but for his grace of movement, he would have been unrecognizable marie fled into the cabin acting upon an instinctive impulse as little explainable as fear but almost immediately the young chief stood at a distance of two paces from her before the hearth where a clear and glowing fire was crackling neither of them could find a voice each of them feared to move or to look at the other one hope united their thoughts one doubt held them apart it was agony and it was rapture sir said mademoiselle de vernoy at last in an unsteady voice it is only a regard for your safety that has brought me hither for my safety he asked with bitterness in his tones yes she replied so long as i remain in fougeres your life is imperilled my love for you is too great to prevent me from going away to-night you must not seek for me there again you are going away dear angel then i shall follow you you will follow me how can you think of it and how about the blues ah marie my beloved what connection is there between the blues and our love but it seems to me that it is difficult for you to remain in france beside me and still more difficult for you to leave it with me is there anything impossible for a lover who is in earnest ah, yes i believe that everything is possible have i not had the courage to give you up for your own sake what you give yourself to a horrible being whom you did not love and you will not make the happiness of a man who worships you a man whose life you would fill who would swear to be yours for ever and your only listen to me marie do you love me yes she said then be mine have you forgotten that i resumed my vile part of courtesan and that it is you who must be mine if i am determined to fly from you it is in order that i may not draw down upon your head the scorn that may be poured on mine perhaps but for that fear but if i fear nothing who will convince me of it i am distrustful who in my position would not be distrustful if the love that each of us inspires in the other cannot last let it at least be absolute so that we may joyfully sustain the burden of the world's injustice what have you done for my sake you desire me do you think that that raises you very much above the level of others who have hitherto seen me have you risked your shuans for an hour's happiness taking no more thought for them than i once took for the blues that were murdered when everything was lost for me and what if i were to bid you renounce your ideas your hopes your king of whom i am jealous 
and who perhaps will deride you when you die for him while i could die for you as a sacred duty how if i required you to make your submission to the first consul so that you might follow me to paris how if i ordained that we should go to america that we might live far away from a world where all is vanity so that i might know whether you really love me for my own sake as i love you at this moment to sum it all up in a word if i set myself to drag you down to my level instead of raising myself to yours what would you do hush marie do not slander yourself poor child i have read your thoughts if my first desire became passion so my passion is now turned into love dear soul of my soul you are as noble as your name your soul is as lofty as you are beautiful i know it now my name is noble enough and i feel that i myself am great enough to compel the world to accept you is this because i feel a presentiment of undreamed-of happiness without an end with you is it because i feel that i recognize in you the priceless qualities of soul that constrain us to love one woman for ever i don't know why it is but my love is infinite and i feel that i can no longer live without you that my life would be loathsome to me if you were not always near me what do you mean by near you oh marie you will not understand your alphonse ah, do you think to honor me greatly by offering me your name and your hand she asked in seeming disdain fixing her steady eyes upon the marquis as if to detect his every thought and do you know whether you will love me in six months time and what would be my outlook then no no a mistress is the only woman who can be certain of the reality of the feeling that a man shows for her duty and legal sanctions and the world and the common interest of children are but sorry aids to her power for if it is lasting her pride in it and her happiness will enable her to endure the heaviest troubles the world can give to be your wife and incur the risk of one day being burdensome to you rather than face that fear i choose a transient love but a love that is true while it lasts though it should lead to death and misery in the end yes better than any other could i be a virtuous mother and a devoted wife but if such sentiments are to dwell for long in a woman's heart a man must not marry her in a fit of passion besides this do i myself know that i shall care for you to-morrow no i will not bring trouble upon you i am about to leave brittany she said as she noticed that he wavered i am going back to paris and you must not go thither in search of me well then if on the morning of the day after to-morrow you see smoke rising from the crags of saint-sulpice 
I shall be with you in the evening. I will be your lover, your husband, whatever you would have me be. I shall have dared all things. Oh, Alphonse, she cried in her intoxication, do you love me so well that you will risk your life for me in this way before you make it mine? He made no answer. He looked at her, and she lowered her eyes. But from his mistress's eager face, he knew that her fevered frenzy equaled his own, and he held out his arms to her. Carried away by this madness, Marie was about to sink back languidly upon Montaron's breast, determined that the surrender of herself should be an error that should bring her the greatest happiness since in this way she risked her whole future which would have been more certain if she had issued victorious from this final ordeal but as she laid her head on her lover's shoulder a faint sound echoed outside the house she tore herself away from him as if she had been suddenly aroused from sleep and sprang out of the hovel this enabled her to recover her self-possession to some extent and to think over her situation he would have taken me and perhaps have laughed at me afterwards she said to herself ah, if i could bring myself to believe that i would kill him ah, not just yet she added as she caught sight of beaupier and made a sign which the soldier understood with wonderful quickness the poor fellow turned on his heel at once and made as though he had seen nothing mademoiselle de verneuil went suddenly back into the hut with the first finger of her right hand laid upon her lips in a way that recommended silence to the young chief they are there she said and her voice was low with horror who is there the blues ah i will not die without yes take it he clasped her as she stood there cold and powerless and pressed upon her lips a kiss full of rapture and of ghastly fear for it might be at once the first kiss and the last then together they stood upon the threshold of the door with their heads in such a position that they could watch everything without being seen the marquis saw goudin at the head of a dozen men holding the foot of the couenon valley then he turned and looked along the vista of echaliers seven soldiers were on guard over the great rotten tree trunk he climbed upon the cask of cider and broke a hole through the shingle roof so as to spring out on to the knoll behind the house but he quickly drew back his head through the gap he had just made for hulot on the summit had cut off the way to fougere he looked for a moment at his mistress who uttered a despairing cry for she heard the tramp of the three detachments who had met at last about the house go out first he said you will save my life for her those words were sublime full of happiness she went and stood in the doorway while the marquis cocked his blunderbuss the gar calculated the distance between the cabin door and the echalier 
suddenly confronted the seven blues riddled the group with shot and made his way through their midst all three detachments flung themselves upon the echalier that the chief had just cleared only to see him running across the field with incredible swiftness fire fire in the devil's name you are no frenchman fire you wretches thundered hulot as he called these words from the top of the knoll his own men and goudin's troop fired a volley point-blank which luckily was badly aimed the marquis had already reached the echalier at the other end of the nearest field and was just entering the next when he was all but overtaken by goudin who had flung himself after him in hot pursuit when the gars heard the footsteps of his formidable antagonist not many yards behind him he redoubled his speed but in spite of this both goudin and the marquis reached the third echalier almost at the same time monterin adroitly flung his blunderbuss at goudin's head and struck the countershuan a blow that made him slacken his pace it is impossible to describe marie's agony of mind and the intense interest with which hulot and his troops watched this spectacle each one unconsciously imitating the gestures of the two runners in a dead silence the gars and goudin both reached the screen of copse now white with hoar-frost when the officer suddenly fell back and disappeared behind an apple-tree some score of shuans who had not dared to fire for fear of killing their leader now appeared and riddled the tree with balls all hulot's little band set out at a run to rescue goudin who being without weapons fled towards them from one apple-tree to another choosing the moments when the chasseurs du roi were reloading for his flight he was not long in jeopardy the counter shuans joined the blues and with hulot at their head they came to the young officer's assistance just at the place where the marquis had flung away his blunderbuss as they came up goudin caught a glimpse of his foe who was sitting exhausted beneath one of the trees in the little copse and leaving his comrades to shoot from behind their cover at the shuans who were entrenched behind a hedge along the side of the field he made a circuit round them and went in the direction of the marquis with the eagerness of a beast of prey when the chasseurs du roi saw his manoeuvre they uttered fearful yells to warn their chief of his danger then after firing around at the countershuans with poacher's luck they tried to hold their own against them but the countershuans boldly climbed the bank which served their enemies as a rampart and took a murderous revenge upon this the shuans made for the road that ran beside the enclosure in which the skirmish had taken place and made themselves masters of the high ground abandoned by a blunder of hulot's before the blues knew where they were the shuans had entrenched themselves among the gaps in the crests of the rocks and thus sheltered they could pick off hulot's men in safety should the latter show any disposition to follow them thither and thus prolong the fight 
whilst hulot and a few of his soldiers were going slowly towards the copse in search of goudin the men of fougeres stayed behind to strip the dead and dispatch the living chouans for no prisoners were made on either side in this terrible war the marquis being in safety both chouans and blues recognized the strength of their respective positions and the futility of continuing the struggle so that neither party now thought of anything but of beating a retreat if i lose this young man hulot exclaimed as he carefully scanned the copse i will never make another friend oh said one of the lads from fougeres there's a bird here with yellow feathers and he held up for his fellow-countryman's inspection a purse full of gold pieces that he had just found in the pocket of a stout man in black clothes but what have we here asked another as he drew a breviary from the dead man's overcoat here be holy goods this is a priest he exclaimed as he flung the breviary down the robber he will make bankrupts of us said a third who had only found two crowns of six francs each in the pockets of the chouan that he was stripping yes but he has a famous pair of shoes said a soldier who made as though he would help himself to them you shall have them if they fall to your share a fougere answered as he dragged them off the feet of the dead chouan and flung them down on a pile of goods already heaped together a fourth counter chouan took charge of the money so as to divide it when the soldiers belonging to the party should return hulot came back with the young officer whose last attempt to come up with the gars had been as useless as it was dangerous and found a score of his own men and some thirty counter chouans standing round eleven of their dead foes whose bodies had been flung into a furrow below the hedge soldiers hulot shouted sternly i forbid you to take any part of those rags fall in and look sharp about it it is all very well about the money commandant said one of the men exhibiting for hulot's benefit a pair of shoes out of which his five bare toes were protruding but those shoes would fit me like a glove he went on pointing the butt-end of his gun at the pair of iron-bound shoes before him so you want a pair of english shoes on your feet was hulot's reply but ever since the war began we have always shared the booty began one of the fougeres in a respectful voice hulot broke in upon him roughly with you fellows can follow your customs i make no objection wait a bit Goudin, there is a purse here and it is not so badly off for louis you have been at some trouble so your chief will not object to your taking it said one of his old comrades addressing the officer hulot in annoyance looked at goudin and saw him turn pale it is my uncle's purse the young fellow exclaimed 
exhausted and weary as he was he went a step or two towards the heap of bodies and the first that met his eyes happened to be that of his own uncle he had scarcely caught sight of the florid face now furrowed with bluish lines of the gunshot wound and the stiffened arms when a smothered cry broke from him and he said let us march commandant the blues set off hulot supporting his young friend who leaned upon his arm tonnerre de dieu said the old soldier never mind but he is dead goudin replied he is dead he was the only relation i had left and though he cursed me he was fond of me if the king had come back the whole country would have wanted my head but the old fellow's cassock would have screened me what a fool remarked the national guards who stayed behind to divide the booty the old boy was well off and as things fell out he had not time to make a will to disinherit his nephew when the plunder had been divided the countershewans started after the little battalion of blues and followed them after a distance as the day wore away there was a dreadful sense of uneasiness in galop chopin's hovel where life had hitherto been so simple and so free from anxiety barbette and her little lad went home at the hour when the family usually took their evening meal the one bore a heavy burden of furs and the other a bundle of fodder for the cattle mother and son entered the hut and looked round in vain for galop chopin never had their wretched room looked so large to them nor seemed so empty the fireless hearth the darkness and the stillness all foreboded calamity of some kind at nightfall barbette hastened to light a bright fire and two oribus for so they call their resin candles in the country that lies between the shores of armorica and the district of the upper loire and the word is in use even on this side of amboise in the vendomois barbette set about her preparations with the deliberation that characterizes all actions performed under the influence of deep feeling she listened to the slightest sound the wailing of the gusts of wind often deceived her and brought her to the door of her wretched hovel only that she might go sadly back again she rinsed a couple of pitchers filled them with cider and set them on the long table of walnut wood again and again she looked at her little boy who was watching the baking of the buckwheat cakes but she could not bring herself to speak a word to him once the little lad fixed his eyes upon the nails in the wall from which his father was wont to hang his duck gun and barbette shuddered when she noticed as he had also noticed that the space was vacant the silence was unbroken save for the lowing of the cows and the sound at regular intervals of the drippings from the cider barrel the poor woman sighed as she poured out into three brown earthenware porringers a sort of soup made of milk cakes cut into dice and cooked chestnuts 
they fought in the field that belongs to la berodiere said the little boy go and have a look there his mother answered the little fellow ran off and made out the faces of the heap of dead by the moonlight his father was not among them and he came back whistling joyfully for he had picked up a few coins that the victors had overlooked and trampled into the mud he found his mother busy spinning hemp seated upon a stool by the fireside he shook his head at the sight of barbette who did not dare to believe in any good news it was ten o'clock by saint leonard's church and the little fellow went to bed after lisping his prayer to the holy virgin of Auray. at daybreak barbette who had not slept all night gave a cry of joy as she heard a sound in the distance that she recognized it was galop chopin's step and his heavy iron-bound shoes and he himself soon showed his sullen countenance thanks to saint labre to whom i have promised a fine wax candle the ga is saved do not forget that we now owe three candles to the saint with that galop chopin seized upon a pitcher and gulped down the contents without taking a breath when his wife had put the soup before him and had helped him to rid himself of his duck gun he seated himself on the bench of walnut wood and said as he drew near the fire how could the blues and countershuans have come here there was a fight going on at florigny what devil can have told them that the ga was in our house nobody knew about it except us and the ga and that pretty lass of his the woman turned pale the countershuans made me believe that they were the gar from st georges she made answer trembling and i myself told them where the gar was now it was galop chopin's turn to grow pale he set his porringer down on the edge of the table i sent our little chap to warn you the terrified barbette went on he didn't find you the shoein rose to his feet and dealt his wife such a violent blow that she fell back half dead upon the bed accursed garce he said you have killed me then terror seized him and he took his wife in his arms barbette he cried barbette holy virgin my hand was too heavy do you think that marcheterre will get to know about it she said when she opened her eyes again vagar has given orders for an inquiry to be made so as to know where the treachery came from answered the shuan did he tell marcheterre piamiche and marcheterre were at florigny barbette breathed more freely if they touch a single hair of your head she said i will rinse their glasses with vinegar ah i have no appetite now galop chopin exclaimed dejectedly his wife set another full pitcher before him but he gave no heed to it two great tears left their traces on barbette's cheeks and moistened the wrinkles on her withered face listen wife 
tomorrow morning you must make a heap of faggots on the crags of saint sulpice to the right of saint leonard and set fire to them that is the signal agreed upon between the gar and the old rector of saint georges who will come and say a mass for him is he going to fougere yes he is going to see his pretty lass and on that account i shall have running about to do to-day i am pretty sure that he means to marry her and to take her away with him for he told me to hire horses and to have them ready all along the st malo road thereupon galope chopin being tired out went to bed for a few hours and afterwards went about his errands he came in again the next morning having faithfully carried out the marquis's instructions and when he learned that Marcheterre and Piamiche had not put in an appearance, he dispelled his wife's fears, so that she set out for the crags of Saint-Sulpice with an almost easy mind. On the previous evening she had made a pile of faggots, now white with rime, upon the knoll that faced the suburb of Saint-Léonard she held her child by the hand and the little fellow carried some glowing ashes in a broken sabot end of section twenty five